Calvary Church, and it's good to see everybody tonight. I really appreciate the theme, all of the uh, topics that Brother Eccles has assigned, and so um, I, I feel real privileged and honored to be able to bring this message tonight. Let's turn in our Bibles to Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14. There's hundreds and hundreds of texts that would uh, go along with this subject tonight, the subject of holiness, because the Bible is full of the subject of holiness. And I wish more of our sermons and our time was fuller of the subject of holiness in the day we live in. I'm afraid we're reaping the uh, consequences of a neglect of preaching on holiness. It's one of the major themes of the Bible. I want to preach tonight and have as my text Galatians 6 and verse 14. And if you will, let's all stand together if you're able to stand. Galatians 6 and verse 14. I want to preach on this subject. I want to preach on the subject of purity and the cross. Purity and the cross. And so, uh, you know, I could, um, I preached a series on the cross years ago, and it was a long series, and among the, um, among the sermons, I preached on prophecy and the cross, and not necessarily in this order, and people, the people at the cross, and the power of the cross, the purpose of the cross, the passion of the cross, but the subject of purity really, really stood out in my mind and weighed heavily on my heart. The relationship between the cross and the purity of God's people. You know, that's why the Lord Jesus died on the cross, is so that lost and condemned and dirty sinners could be pure. Amen. And have our sins washed away. Amen. At a heavy burden of guilt and a dirtiness. You know what I'm talking about, amen? When you're lost, you get under conviction, you feel a load of sin, you, you feel dirty. When you get saved, the moment you get saved, you feel light, a burden that's rolled away. At least this was the way it was for me, and I felt clean. I felt a cleanness that I'd never felt before in my soul. Before we read this text, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight. We thank you for the privilege of being gathered together here. Brothers and sisters in Christ and, and any others that may be here that know not the Lord Jesus as their personal Savior, we pray that, that uh, there will be many a prayer breathed uh, this evening. Uh, on behalf of any lost that are here, that they'll be saved before it's everlasting too late to be saved and go into an eternity without any hope and without God forever. Lord, we pray that you would save any lost here tonight. We pray you deal with the hearts of we who are your children and help us to put the emphasis on holiness and purity of life so that we can shine brightly for you and really have a glowing testimony. Have our lights burning in these darkening days in which we live. And we pray your richest blessings upon every family represented here tonight, upon every church. We need your help, and we pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now in Galatians 6 and in verse 14, Paul is closing out this, this book. Uh, 
And he says this, and in all of his writings, you know, this is the way it is. When people are closing out a letter, they save some of their most important emphasis. Sometimes they reiterate what they've been trying to stress throughout the letter. And they want to mention it again in, in the end, to put a special focus on it. Here's what Paul said in closing out this letter. He said, but God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's why he gloried in it so much. He said, by whom the world is crucified unto me. Did you get that? It's by the cross, he said, that the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Please be seated. Now, this is a, this is a wonderful text. Paul says, the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Before that, he said, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now think about the things that he, that he didn't glory in. Amen. He had a lot he could have gloried in, in a material, in a worldly, in a fleshly way. He had more than most of us will ever have that we might glory in. He had one of the best educations that the ancient world could offer. He'd been to one of the top three of the universities. And then after that, he had taken his training under the greatest teacher, rabbi, that Judaism had to offer. And he'd climbed the, climbed the ranks in his religious circle to become the true champion of Judaism. If there was a big job to be done, they looked to Saul of Tarsus. He had a lot of learning to glory in, a lot of position that, that he could have gloried in, a lot of, of accomplishments that he could have gloried in. There are people here tonight, you have some things to glory in. There's people here tonight, you probably have more education than, than a lot of other people. You have, uh, you've had some accomplishments as a pastor and as a preacher that uh, maybe others haven't had, it, it might appear. Um, all kinds of achievements that people make, but Paul didn't glory in any of those those things. What he did glory in was just very simple. He tells us right here in no uh, no uh, unclear language. He said, "God forbid that I should glory in anything but the cross." There was absolutely nothing in the mind and in the heart of this brilliant man who walked closely with God, more important than the cross to the Apostle Paul. He, he understood the depths of the cross. Thank God for the cross. Amen? Amen. If it weren't for the cross, we'd all be on our way to hell without any hope right. whatsoever. Paul, Paul gloried in the cross for all of the obvious reasons. Because it was because of Jesus' cross he could get saved on the road to Damascus that day. When he thought about what was going to happen to him after this life's little day was over, and thought about the assurance he had of going to heaven, he immediately attributed that hope that he had to the cross, the bloody cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're all saved tonight because of his cross. And we're going to heaven because of his cross. And, and there's something within every saved person here tonight that would uh, chime in with Paul and say, God forbid that I should glory in anything. Yes, sir. 
save the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Paul has more to say here about that. In this short verse, he's saying there's something else. Let us know that he gloried in something else about the cross. And directly related to the cross, he lets us know that he gloried in the cross because it was in the cross that he had victory over this world. There is no victory over this world without a concentration on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got to keep the cross of the Lord uppermost in our minds. We've got a glory in the cross if we want to have victory over this world. And, and God has given us the victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came to die for us that we might have life, but that we might have it more abundantly. And the way to the abundant life, it, it coincides with having victory over this sinful world. It's because of the cross we can have victory over the flesh. This old flesh we wrestle with every day. Some of us struggle with it more than others do. We have a harder time. Amen. We wonder, how am I ever going to get victory over this flesh and this world? Well, there, there's victory over the flesh for us, but the key is in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul wrestled with his flesh 24-7. He said that he buffeted his body. He did everything that he possibly could. He prayed. He fasted. Uh, he, he watched and and he, had, he wanted to have victory over his flesh, but read chapters 6, 7, and 8 in Romans, and it was a battle. It was a battle for the greatest, one of the greatest Christians that ever lived. He, he tells us about what a battle it was. What the flesh is not, sin is not to have dominion over us. For a child of God, that is an, that is an aberrant thing. That's a twisted thing for a child of God. The sin is not to have dominion over us. We're to have dominion over sin. But there's a key to having dominion over sin and over the, over the world and over the flesh. And that is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And victory over the devil. Paul is rejoicing because of his victory that he could have over the devil himself. But that victory was in the cross. Victory over the world. Victory over flesh. Amen. This aggravating flesh. Amen. Victory over the devil. Victory over temptation. I'm telling you the key. It's right here. Is in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. God forbid, he said, that I should glory. And I'm telling you, he knew how to glory. We, we could use some revival today so we could learn how to glory. Yeah. Amen. Oh, yeah. Glory in the cross. There's a lot more to glorying in the cross than warming up a pew. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Well, we need, as they say, to get back under the spout where the glory runs out. Right. Where the cross is concerned. Matthew Henry said of this verse, he said, Paul had experienced the power and virtue of the cross in weaning him from the world. There's a lot of Christians that need to be weaned from the world. Our churches are full of church members that need to be weaned from the world. And there's not just a few preachers behind pulpits that need to be weaned from the world. Amen. 
Paul had experienced the power and virtue, Matthew Henry said, of the cross, weaning him from the world, and this was his great reason for glorying in it. Amen. Contemplation of the cross. That's why we have all of these old songs, and so many of them about the cross. Check it out. It'd be a thin book if you took all of the hymns out that referred to the cross. Glorying in the cross is the greatest key to the promotion of purity in our lives. Uh, Being mindful of this old life, uh, the things of this world, this Babylonish system that we're living in, uh, a key uh, is a key to failure in the Christian life. I mean, if, if we're mindful, just to the degree that we're mindful of this material world, just to the degree that we're focusing too much on this, this life down here, that it's just to that degree that we will suffer failure in our Christian lives. And Paul warned about warned the Philippian church about that in chapter 3, verse 9. He talked about those who mind earthly things. There's too many Christians today who mind earthly things. I think more than ever before. Their mind is on, they can't even listen to a sermon properly. Because their mind is on earthly things. They're either thinking about what's going to be involved in getting lunch together, or they're thinking about... Uh, challenges uh, uh, of the week and or the thinking about things they've had to go through in the past week. Uh, we know that we have to do those things, but we got to be careful about minding over much earthly things. Set your affection on things above, Paul said to the church at Coloss. Not, not, not on the things of this world. Being mindful of what Christ did for us and provided for us on the cross is the key to victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil. Boy, that, that Hebrews chapter 11 is tremendous, isn't it? All of those stories, I mean, it's encouraging. I mean, those people, God paints their pictures warts and all. That they had victory. And the chapter begins to conclude with this little detail about all of them. Hebrews eleven fifteen says, And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, amen, they might have had opportunity to have returned. They could have returned. But they weren't thinking about their opportunities to go back. Amen. They weren't thinking about that good job and all that money and the potential that they had back then. If they'd been thinking about it too much, the devil had got some advantage and they'd started getting tempted. Amen. And you begin to look at things in your mind and you begin, as Brother Mitch was telling about a message he preached not long ago, you begin to look, you begin to lust after those things. And the devil gets advantage. You know what the secret right there in verse 15 is of all of those champions of the faith? They already sang it to us. They found a better way. Amen. Abel found a better way. Noah found a better way. 
Amen. They all, Abraham and Sarah found a better way. And I found a better way one day. Amen. I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's been a, it's, it gets better and better and better. Amen. We, we love these hymns. They're good for us. We have this, when I survey, when I survey it, when I'm da- driving down the road, and in my mind, I survey the wondrous cross upon which the Prince of Glory died. My chiefest gain I count but loss. See how spiritually wholesome it is to survey the cross? And I cast contempt on all my pride. Amen. We, we could do with more of that today. In, this, in Bunyan's book, Pilgrim's Progress, there's a character named Prudence that asks Christian a, a question. The question is this. Prudence says to Christian, how do you get victory over sin? And uh, the answer comes back. I get victory over sin like this. When I think of what I saw at the cross, that will do it. Amen. I, I wish we had more preaching on the cross today. I think it's, it would help us to have revival in our churches well, I want to say three things tonight, and it's not going to take an hour and 20 minutes. <laughs> I want to say first, any wrong attitude that Paul had towards the world was changed as he contemplated the cross. It really gave him an attitude adjustment. And number two, any attraction that Paul had to the world was canceled out when he contemplated the cross. And number three, any advantage that Paul might have given to the world was concluded as long as he was contemplating the cross. We can give the world advantage. The world can use us. Well, first, as we glory in, as we contemplate the cross, our attitude toward the world is going to be changed. It's right here in verse 14. He says, but God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. The purpose of thinking on and about the cross is, number one, to remove any illusions that we might have as to there being any goodness in this world. Take a good look at the cross and see what this world did to the Lord Jesus Christ, the fairest of 10,000. Amen. The lily of the valley. The sinless, perfect Son of God. And look what this sin-cursed world system did. To the Lord Jesus Christ. And we take a good look, and the longer look that we take, it'll remove any illusions we have about there being any goodness in this world system. John 7 and in verse 7, Jesus said, The world me it hateth, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. And the purpose of thinking about 
meditating on the cross, the more we do that, the more it will remove any inhibitions that we might have about glorying in the cross. Amen. The more we get our minds set by way of sermon or song or contemplation on the cross, it will remove any backwardness about going forward in giving glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, People's response to sermons and testimonies would be a whole lot different if more Christians were thinking more and more about the cross than they normally do today. Amen. I'm preaching about the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, I glory in the cross. As Paul looked on the, the world in the light of the cross, and this is what happens to us, this is what happens. Paul is saying, as I look at the world in the light of the cross, my focus is sharpened relative to just how wicked this world is. You know why so many Christians are so worldly and cozying up to this world system like they are today? It's because there's less and less emphasis on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Their minds have strayed away from the cross too much. 1 John 5 and 19, John said, And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. The world's evil, like I said, was demonstrated at the cross. One man said, He who knows the world best will love it the least. Very bad. There might be one or two or three of us who know the world a little bit better in the old life than some here tonight. And I'll guarantee you that those of us who've had our experience have walked a longer time in this old world without Christ and know it best, love it the least. We know what it does, what it can do, what it holds out. That's why, uh, that's why you see, there's an explanation there for the devotion of sinners who get saved in adulthood. Amen. Jesus said, he that is forgiven much will love much. Amen. You find somebody that sin has kicked from pillar to post, somebody that sin has torn up from the floor up their whole life, they get saved, and I'm telling you, they're not bashful about glory in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Luke 7 and verse 47, Jesus said, Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which were many. Think about that poor woman that day. You know who he's talking about. She's weeping and sobbing uncontrollably and washing Jesus' feet with, her, with the tears of her eyes. She's, her hair is sodden with her own tears and she's washing Jesus' feet. She can't get low enough or do enough for him. And the people standing around couldn't get it. Jesus said, here's the deal. She has been forgiven her sin, many sins. Her sins are many. And therefore, she, she loves much. She's been forgiven a lot. And she's conscious of it. Paul looked at the world, and it sharpened his focus 
on what the world is all about when he looked at it in the light of the cross. That's why we need to have preaching on the cross. Read about the cross. Think about the cross. Memorize verses about the cross. Envision the cross in our minds. It will empower us. As Paul looked at the world in the light of the cross, something else happened. His focus was sharpened and his feelings toward the world became settled. That's what we need. That's what pastors and churches are supposed to be doing. Getting people settled. The big message is take a look at this world and make up your mind. There's a lot of Christians who just need to make up their minds tonight. They got one leg in the world and one leg in the church and they can't seem to make up their mind. And the great mind maker upper is a vision of the cross. Amen. God forbid that we should glory save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the second thing. As the cross of Christ is contemplated, the attraction and appeal of the world becomes diminished. And purity grows in a believer's life. Now, I don't know everybody about everybody's life, but I can sure guess with some accuracy, based on my own experience, here's what I believe. When you get saved, the Bible says... Second Peter chapter 1, I believe it is, that we are endowed, endued with a new nature. And there's no secret about it. When it. Whenever you get saved, you get a new nature, and it is the divine nature. You, we got a brand new nature. When I got saved the next day, my mind was, I immediately canceled a couple of things I had planned for the next day. I didn't feel like it was right anymore. I didn't have any scripture or verse for it. There was just something within that said, this is not for you today. (laughs) Here's what I believe. I believe when people really get a real dose of Holy Ghost regeneration, there's nothing more attractive to them than the idea that they could live a holy life. If it would be possible never to commit another sin in your life, you'd want that. You'd give your right arm for it. There's something within that tells you that's what is right. First John chapter 1, I like to quote this verse every chance I get. It's the Baptist favorite verse, many Baptists. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive our sin. And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And boy, a crescendo of hallelujahs break out because if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive our sin. And a lot of people take it like this, so I'll just sin and sin and sin. They wouldn't blab it right out of their mouth like I just did. But it seems that's their attitude. Well, we... You know, God forgives us. God forg- When the Holy Ghost gave that verse to John, he knew exactly what the devil would do to twist it up in the minds of people. And that's why he hastened on to say, my little children, these things, what things? The things I just said, the things I'm saying, the things I'm going to say. 
My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. Amen. Next time you get out on the altar to pray with somebody after they've, they've been saved, made a profession of faith, it might be better not to, to instead of turning right straight away over to verses on assurance and all of that, you, so you don't forget it, turn them over there to 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8, chapter 2 and verse 1, and say, good news, here's your goal, here's your track to run on as a new Christian. Newsflash, this just in, you do not have to sin. And let me say that again because I mean it. We do not have to sin. Amen. I'm not saying that we won't sin, but we don't have to sin. Amen. We we need a re-emphasis, a revival of that doctrine. We don't have to sin. God has given us the tools. He has given us His Spirit, given us His Word, given us prayer, given us the fellowship of a local church. We are empowered by heaven not to sin. One of the biggest empowerments we have is in the contemplation of the cross because the more we contemplate the cross, any attraction and appeal that there is for the world will be diminished. And purity will grow in our lives. Look at what Paul said in the second part of this verse. He said, by whom the world is crucified unto me. You know what the world had become to Paul? It was like putrid, rotting, four-day-old roadkill. <laughs> Amen. Uh, think about it. Can you imagine driving down the road and here's an old bloated deer? Or a skunk. Let's just make it a skunk. <laughs> and it's rotten and putrid. And you look over to the window and you see that and you say, boy, I'd sure like to have me some of that. <laughs> that that's really a parallels a worldly Christian's attitude toward this world. Amen. All attract the more. This is practical teaching. It works. The more we contemplate the cross, the less attraction this world will have for us. Amen. Amen. You lose your appetite for television. That old country music will begin to gag you. Uh Amen. Paul said. uh, by whom the world is crucified unto me. In John 17 and 15, Jesus prayed that intercessory prayer, that high priestly prayer, and he said, I pray not that thou shouldst keep them from the world, but that thou shouldst keep them from the evil. Amen. This world is an evil, evil place. Let me say two things real quickly about this attraction to the world. In light of the cross, there was nothing in the world that Paul found charming. Think about it. In light of the cross, there is nothing in this world that Paul found to be charming. Look at what the world has done. Look at what the world would do. Again, quicker if it could. That's why the songwriter wrote a hymn like this. He said, I am resolved no longer to linger. Charmed by the world's delight. Things that are nobler, things that are higher, these have allured my sight. That's why we have these songs in the Bible. 
good, good, theological, spiritually practical, helpful songs and hymns. And James 4 and 4, James said, Know you not that friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. How, how, did, how did people ever forget that? In Ephesians 5.11, Paul says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather rebuke them. Uh, we, we should have zero tolerance for the world's filth. Amen. Uh, we ought to be convicted. I, I, I've been convicted about being charmed by some of the things that are in the world. I'm not talking about the rocks and the rills and the hills and the Yellowstone Park and all of that stuff. I'm talking about this filthy world system. The media, the Hollywood industry, it's reeking. Amen. Christ came to die for a sinful world. Amen. Boy, I, I just wish I could preach an hour and 20 minutes right here. He came to die for us, to deliver us Amen. from the condemnation of this world. You know what it took to do that? Again, thinking about roadkill. Imagine some, some, some putrefying, decaying carcass of an animal. You stop and look a little closer and it's, you know it's been there for who knows how long, but it seems like there's some movement within it. And it's just crawling alive with maggots. That's the world. That's a sin-cursed world working alive with sin. And the Son of God said, I will come down and become part of that and take that on myself and become that. So they can be saved. That's what he did for us on the cross. Amen. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God. Amen. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12, Paul talks about, gives us a picture of entering into heaven. He talks about the angels and, the, and all of the beauties of heaven. And, and, uh, and, and he says, and I'm going to enter into the presence of just men made perfect. I told somebody one time, I read that verse, I said, I'm not even Italian, but I'm a made man. <laughs> I've been made perfect. Well, right. Amen. Yes, the righteousness of Christ has been imparted unto us yeah. who are saying we've been made. Mm-hmm. We're made. Yes, we would, none of us could ever be that way if Christ hadn't made us this way. Amen. We we are saved on our way to heaven because he made it that way. All glory to God. Glory to the cross. Paul contemplated the cross, the less charming this world was to him. In light of the cross, there wasn't anything in this world that he coveted. Amen. Covetousness. And anything in this world. After you got saved, there wasn't anything he coveted. He didn't covet anything. Not men's approval. Not, not any material things. Not ambition. Romans 7 and 7. 
He tells us that he had been guilty of covetousness. He's talking about the law, the law being a schoolmaster to bring him to Christ. And he brings up one point of the law that really got to him. He said, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. And when Paul got saved, and he started contemplating the cross, there was nothing in this whole world he, he wanted. Brother Abel's years ago, I was reading a little story about uh, a famous evangelist back in the 20s and 30s named Bud Robinson. They called him Uncle Bud Robinson. He was from down south, West Virginia area, something like that. And he'd written... Uh, Somebody had written in his biography, or he'd written it, I guess if it was his biography, otherwise it had been an autobiography. But he, he'd been to New York City, he'd never been to any big sizable city, but his preaching itinerary carried him up to New York City one time. And uh, he'd been out, and people had been showing him around the city, this, this hayseed, this, this country boy, and... And he went back to his hotel, and he was alone in his room, and he started pinning a letter to his wife, and he told her all about what he'd seen, the Empire State Building and Statue of Liberty and, you know, all of the shopping districts and the Wall Street and everything. And, and he told her all about it, and then he said, and there ain't nothing here that I want. <laughs> Amen. See, that's another thing. When you first get saved, your wanter gets changed. Amen. How's your wanter tonight? How is it now? Yeah, he, uh, he'd been to the cross and he didn't covet anything that the world had to, had to offer. In Philippians 3 and 8, he said, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. And number three, the cross, it, it not only did it not hold any attraction to him, but uh, Paul had found out that the contemplation of the cross promotes purity in our lives because it cancels out any advantage that the world can get over us. You do know tonight, we all know this, brother, the world wants to use us. If it can. The world, the devil, would rather use a born-again believer in its service than the worst lost sinner out there. Amen. And many a Christian falls victim to the world's sly ways of bringing a Christian into its service. It's so subtle. Just think about it. Think of the sadness. I, I heard a man say one time, a preacher, and he was talking about these things and some things that he experienced in his own life. And he was telling me his story. He was a wonderful preacher. But he said, there was a time in my life when I let the world get the advantage of me. And here's what he said. He said, he said for a few years, I was nothing more than the devil's clown. Amen. The world, Brother Quigley, wants to use us. He wants to take advantage of us if it can. But 
contemplation of the cross will cancel that out. Any advantage the world can have. Here's why, and I'll close with this. I promise you. <laughs> Look at the last part of verse 14. Paul said, he said, the world is crucified unto me. Well, that's good. He says, the world has no more appeal to me than a, a roadkill camel on the side of the road. But he said, it goes further than that. The world is not only crucified unto me, but I unto the world. When the world sees me now, it sees as, it's as much potential in me as some old roadkill. Amen. It doesn't want anything to do with us. It's not going to waste its time on us. It's not going to pull over to the side of the road and park and fool with us very long. If we're people who are captivated and contemplating the cross because the world has no sympathy for people who glory in the cross. And it can't stand it. One man wrote this, he said, Men to whom the world is not crucified are certainly not believers. Now that's strong. And men professing Christianity who are not crucified to the world, men whom the world loves and honors, have cause to stand in doubt of themselves. They might be among those, like Paul was talking to, he said, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. In Luke 6 and 26, Jesus said, Woe unto you when all men speak well of you. In John 15 and 19, Jesus said, If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, if you're not of the world, the world hateth you. Paul said, I'm glorying in the cross. Because it's because of the cross that I am crucified to this world. As long as I'm the stronger, the longer that I'm glorying in the cross, the more this world will leave me alone. Amen. Don't think if it's leaving you alone, it won't come back if it can. That's why we have to learn to keep glorying in the cross. Amen. That ought to be up on the high priorities of our Christian life. As far as the world was concerned, Paul was crucified. They recognized that he was crucified. And guess what? The world can derive no services from a dead man. Amen. You're not going to find anything useful out of a dead deer on the side of the world. you got no use for it if it's dead. Amen. And the world has no use for those who can say, I die daily. I'm crucified with Christ. Amen. I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The world has no use for a dead man. In Romans 6 and 17 and verse 18, Paul said this. He said, Know you not that to whom you yield yourself servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin. 
but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. That form of doctrine that really envelops the cross. Of the, what kind of doctrine would we have without the cross? Amen. Amen. Let's all stand together. Our brother pastor will come and maybe we can have an invitational hymn. Song leader, how are we going to do it? Brother pastor, stand up here. And however the Lord speaks to your heart, I just believe if God's people will not quench the spirit, will cry out to him for revival. We'll just let, let themselves be, be moved by the spirit of God. Even if it's just a little, little nudge to, to give him some glory tonight, the glory in the cross. Amen. Thank you, brother. As the uh, piano plays and is about to play, if God has spoken to you, um, we, we have some time to deal with what God has told you to deal with. And you probably ought to do that even now. So you have some time. Why don't you deal with what God has spoken to you about this evening? You know, if God can't move us, how do you expect?